The text for this morning's service is from John 3, the verses 3 through 5. Let's read this once again. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the birth of a child is a wonderful event in the life of a family and also of the life of the church. Every time a child is born, we stand in awe of the miracle of birth. Although there are a lot of things we do not know about the exact process of the birth of a baby, ultimately there is no mystery. We know how it happens and we know when it happens. The text we are dealing with this morning also deals with birth, but it deals with spiritual birth, which is an even greater miracle. However, many of us are unsure when that happens and how that happens. At what point in your life are you reborn? Exactly when are you reborn? Does a little baby have the Holy Spirit already from birth? And how exactly do you receive the Holy Spirit? Do I receive it because, do I receive him because I have been born into a Christian family? And so is it an automatic thing? And how do you know when you have the Holy Spirit? How can anyone be sure? One thing we do know, however, is that as Jesus says to Nicodemus, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. The form for the baptism of infants also quotes this text. But when the, when the Lord Jesus speaks these words, he speaks them to an adult. How does that apply to children? And so there are a lot of questions that need answers. And that's what I will preach to you about. It's about the miraculous work, work of being born again through the Holy Spirit. And then we will see three things that our rebirth is in the first place initiated by the Holy Spirit, secondly confirmed in the covenant, and finally, controlled by God. It's noteworthy how the Lord Jesus came to speak about being born again. The issue came about because of a question from a man named Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee and as such a prominent leader in Israel who found himself perplexed about who Jesus really is. He observed the miracles Jesus was performing, saw the excitement that he stirred up amongst the people, and he wanted to know more about him. As a result, he approached 
Jesus under the cover of nightfall. Some say that he came to him at night because he did not want the Pharisees to know that he was coming to see him. He wanted to keep it secret. However, the text doesn't say that. It just mentions that he came at night. It could be that, well, likely the most, the best explanation that he came at night because then there are fewer interruptions. At night it is easier to have a lengthy and deep going discussion, which is what Nicodemus wanted. For he was struggling with something quite profound. He was a devout man and took his relationship with God seriously. And that is why the ministry of Jesus was so troubling to him. Nicodemus wondered whether he was the Messiah, the anointed one they had been waiting for. He did not ask Jesus directly if he was the Messiah, but Jesus could see that that question was in his heart. But instead of addressing that issue, Jesus takes a completely different tack. He does not confirm or deny that he is the Messiah. He could have done that. He could have quoted from the Old Testament and shown Nicodemus how everything in the Old Testament points to his coming and that that is now being fulfilled. He also could have pointed to the miracles that he's doing and to all the other signs that show him to be the Messiah, the Son of God. He doesn't do that. Why? Because Jesus knows that it would not make any difference in the mind of Nicodemus. If you want to understand who the Messiah is, you cannot come to that understanding through a logical analysis alone. No, not that logic and reason are excluded, not at all, but ultimately it is always a matter of faith, a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the inclination that you have towards the truth. If you don't want to believe something, you won't, no matter what evidence is presented. And so faith and reason have to go, to, have to go together. We're not any different today. We can observe, all of us observe the miracle of creation. We can clearly see how this wonderful creation could never ever have come about by chance, by evolution. The evidence of an almighty creator is overwhelming, and yet most people don't believe. Why is that? Well, because they don't want to be bothered with the truth. You can come with all the evidence in the world, but if they do not want to accept that God has made everything, that whatever you say to them makes no difference, they won't believe it. It's always a matter of faith. It's always a matter of the heart. It's always a matter of submission to God. And that is the biggest obstacles. And of following his agendas, his agenda, not your own. And so that is the reason that Jesus does not directly address the issue, but speaks to Nicodemus about being born again. And what he says to him, is quite significant and noteworthy. That is clear from how he introduces what he is about to say. He begins by saying, truly, 
truly I say to you. In the Greek it says, Amen, Amen, I say to you. We must play close attention whenever Jesus uses these words. That means that he is about to teach you something quite profound and important. And then come the crucial words. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus' ultimate concern was the kingdom of God. He wanted to be part of God's kingdom. And he wanted to know that if Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one from the Lord God, who holds the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus understands that. That ultimately is what motivates all of us, doesn't it? That's the reason why we're here. For by nature, we're all concerned, first of all, about ourselves and our place in God's kingdom. For us, the question is to Will I go to heaven when I die? Am I going to be enjoying all those wonderful blessings of the life hereafter? You see, that's what Nicodemus is after. But now, the Lord Jesus says that you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And note well that he uses the word to see the kingdom. In verse 3, he uses that in verse 3, where in verse 5 he speaks about entering the kingdom. That is because there is a progression in view here. First of all, you have to see the kingdom. You have to perceive it. You have to understand what God's kingdom is all about. You have to understand who the king is and who the citizens of God's kingdom are. Only then can you come to an understanding as to how you enter the kingdom. And so what's God's kingdom all about? Well, God's kingdom is, first of all, a spiritual kingdom. We have to fix our eyes above where God is in heaven. Rather than having a horizontal understanding, we need to have a vertical understanding. And that is why the Lord Jesus uses a word that has two meanings. The way most translations render what the Lord Jesus says is that you must be born again. But that same word again can also just as easily be translated as above. You must be born from above. That is why in the ESV and other translations in a footnote, also give that as a possible translation. Look at the bottom of page, I think it's page 887 in your Bible, in your pew Bible, it's a small print, but it's, it's right there. You are born from above because the Holy Spirit comes from above. He has to initiate your rebirth. In other words, rebirth does not come about because of a decision of man. No, it comes from above. Because that's something that God does. Come to the second point. 
Please understand the tradition that Nicodemus is coming from. He's a Pharisee. He's deeply concerned about his entrance into the kingdom. But he thinks that the way into the kingdom is through work righteousness. It is through something that you do or because of somebody you are. The Pharisees are proud of the fact that they are descended from Abraham and consequently God's special people. God made promises to Abraham and his seed, and so the matter of the kingdom for them is, first of all, a birthright. And in the second place, something to which you personally contribute. But that's not the way into God's kingdom. It's something much more profound, much more comforting, much more beautiful. I'm sure the descendants of Abraham are God's special covenant children, but not everyone who is descended of Abraham will be saved. On the contrary, for why are they God's special people? Because they're such good people? Or because they're so smart and good-looking? Or because they contribute so much money to the cause of the church? No, it is only because God wanted to have a people for himself on earth to worship him. He chose to proclaim his word to them, to Israel, out of all the other nations. He revealed himself to that people. He came to them with the ten words of the covenant on Mount Sinai, and he sent to that nation the prophets. Out of his own free will, he chose that nation. But there were many of God's people who rejected God's covenant, who did not keep his commandments, who walked away from the covenant, who did not want to listen to the prophets, and who did not want to listen to the greatest prophet of them all, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's more to it than just being part of God's special people. And that counts for us as well. It's not just a matter of a physical bond through your parents or through your friends with God and his people, but it is a matter of a spiritual bond. When we baptize our children, we do so because they are covenant children. As such, they are set apart as special children. And that is where the connection with children comes in as well. What makes them so special? God's love. In his great love, he gave them parents who belong to God's covenant. He gave them parents who are going to teach their children as they grow up in the ways of the Lord. They will teach them about God's wonderful covenant, about his promises and his demands. For that is what faithful Christian parents promised to do at the time of their baptism. They will read to them every day from the Bible and at the supper table. And as soon as they're able to sit long enough without making a disturbance, they're going to take them along to church. And they're going to make sure that their children are going to receive a Christian education. They will send them to catechism classes. And they will make sure that they have Christian friends. You see, it is those things that make them special, holy even. 
That is also what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 14 that the children of a believing parent are not unclean, but holy. Holiness has to do with the fact that they have been set apart. It has to do with the fact that they are washed with the word. That's also what the Lord Jesus refers to when he says in John 15, verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. But the emphasis here with children is the fact that they are set apart. And so ultimately our children are special because of the word of God that is given to them. It has nothing to do with them because of any personal attributes. It was not so either, as I said, that the nation of Israel is such a nice, such a fine nation that the Lord chose them. Israel as such was not any better or any more worthy than the other nations around them. And that also counts to each and every one of us. That's also the way it is with God's people today. Parents who bring their children to the baptismal font are not any better than anybody else. They're sinners, like everyone else. They're not worthy of themselves. Except for one thing. God has revealed his word to them. And now they believe they have made a conscious decision to put their trust in God. And even that faith is a gift from God. Ultimately, we have nothing to boast of of from ourselves. But what if a child doesn't want anything to do with the word of God as it grows up and goes his own way? If after all the instruction the child has received, he or she walks away, what then? Well, then that child has rejected the word of God. Then that grown-up child has only him or herself to blame for the fact that he or she is no longer part of the kingdom. The scriptures do not know of covenantal automatism. You also have to do something. But please understand that that is not your starting point. The Lord God initiates the covenant. He comes to his special people, including the children, with his wonderful promises. And he does that already before they have any understanding at all. He doesn't make a covenant with you because of your faith or because of anything that you do. No, he makes a covenant with you in spite of the great sinner that you and I are. And in spite of the great sinners also our children are. And that's also what Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus. However, Nicodemus pretends not to understand. And that's why he comes with the question, how can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Please don't think, however, that Nicodemus doesn't understand what the Lord Jesus is driving at. He knows the scriptures. He knows from the Old Testament scriptures that the Lord God does not just deal with the flesh, but especially with the heart. But... Nicodemus asks the question because he wants to dig deeper. He wants to know what man's role is in all this. He wants Jesus to elaborate. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He says, 
Amen, amen, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Again, he emphasizes that this is God's doing. Nicodemus understands that when the Lord Jesus says that you must be born of water, that then he is speaking about the water of baptism. Nicodemus knows what baptism was about. It has to do with cleansing. It is something that the Pharisees themselves required from any Gentile who was converted to Judaism. They had to be circumcised and baptized before they were considered to be part of God's people and allowed to enter the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus, however, connects this cleansing ritual with the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who washes you and makes you clean and holy. You cannot separate the Holy Spirit from the cleansing. It's God's doing. But when exactly does that happen? Does it happen to me? Well, listen to how Jesus explains to Nicodemus the mystery of God's working. He is in control always, all the way. Third point. In verse 8, he compares the spirit to the wind. In Hebrew and in Greek, there are two different words that you can use for wind, but the word that he uses here is the same word that is also used for spirit. And so it was easy for Nicodemus and the original readers to make the immediate connection between wind or breath and the spirit. And in this way, he illustrates to Nicodemus its mysterious workings. You don't always feel the wind, do you? We don't feel it right now. And then suddenly it starts blowing. And you don't always know where it comes from either. It can blow either this way or that way or not be perceptible at all. Well, says the Lord Jesus, that's also the way it is with the Spirit of God. You have no control over it. You don't know where it goes. It works inexplicably. But God does know. Just like he controls the wind, he also controls the spirit. It's all his doing. There are those who are regenerated and those who are not regenerated, and that's God's business. It's up to God to let his spirit blow where he wishes. The Canons of Dort summarizes this doctrine most beautifully in chapter 3 and 4, article 12. It says, and I skip a few phrases in there, but it says there, this new creation which God works in us, without us, by no means remains in the power of man. It is, however, clearly a supernatural, most powerful, and at the same time most delightful, marvelous, mysterious, and inexpressible work. Oh, listen to the accolades. And further in Article 13, it says, In this life, believers cannot fully understand the way in which God does this work. Meanwhile, however, it is enough for them to know and experience that by this grace of God, they believe with the heart and love their Savior. It's God's doing. 
No doubt you will still have a question at this point. How do I know whether or not I have been reborn? How do I know whether or not I have the Holy Spirit? Well, brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, the Lord Jesus compares the concept of physical birth to spiritual birth because there are a lot of similarities. He gives that analogy to help us to understand better. How does a parent know that a child is born? Well, that's obvious. You can see that with your eyes. And you were there when that happened. And now your child is alive. And because you nurture that child, he or she continues to grow and to grow within a few months. Within a few months, the baby will weigh double the amount at birth. And that's because of all the good food it receives. The child will continue to grow and to grow until they become an adult. Well, the same thing is true of our rebirth. How do you know you're born again? Well, first of all, you're alive. You're alive in Christ. In Matthew 18, we read that the Lord Jesus welcomed the little children to him. He says to his disciples that those little children belong to the kingdom of God. And so a child is already part of the kingdom of God. And if you grew up in a believing family and were baptized, then you were a child then already. As I said, it can happen that some will reject it, but that's not God's doing. That then is your doing. And so how do we know this further? Well, day in, day out, our children are fed God's word. They grow in their faith. And that's the way it is for all of us. For me too, even though I'm getting older and older, we still grow in our faith. And that then becomes also evident from the way that we conduct ourselves. Because we have been fed by God's word, we will try to live in accordance with God's will. Isn't that the way it is for you as well? I know it is. And that means that you try to live according to the commandments of God. Don't you want to live according to the law of God? Yes, you do. Of course. Oh, sure. We fail all the time. But nevertheless, that's what you want to do. And when you fail, you ask for the forgiveness of your sins. And it is in this way that the Holy Spirit continues to work within you. And that kind of growth in the Spirit you will see also in your children. Because they're being fed God's Word, they respond to it. And it is nice when you see evidence of that, especially as they become teenagers and they, they, get, they get it. They say their prayers at night and they talk to God and they can retell the Bible stories. And they know that when they do something wrong, that then they sin against God. And so they learn to ask for the forgiveness of sins. They learn to live out of the promises of God about what he has done. And so in spite of their sinfulness, they grow in the Lord. What a wonderful thing that is when you see that in your children and grandchildren. And so we see that you receive the Holy Spirit already at birth. Those who are brought up in Christian homes slowly but surely grow in their faith. There's not a point 
exact point where they can say that they were reborn. But you may say, well, there are people that can do that. They remember that they became totally new creatures when they heard the gospel of salvation. They went from one type of person to another. They went from being dead to being alive. And that's true. The Bible gives many examples of such con converts. It also happens that those who were brought up in a, in a Christian home at first didn't seemingly respond to what they're being taught. They lived and thought like unbelievers. And then there comes a point in their life that they wake up. They can remember even when it happened. But please don't think that any of this happens because of human effort. Also, when you come to faith at a later age, it is still a response to what God has done. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us, and here it comes, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The new birth is given to us because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for all those who belong to him. A rebirth actually happened long before we were born. But now we have to respond to that. And that's true for children as well as for adults. Some respond to that later than others and differently, but our rebirth is never done on the basis of our faith. It is on the basis from what is done from above by God the Holy Spirit. And so when were you born again? At the time of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's when he gave life to all those who believe and belong to him. But you have to make that new life a reality in your life. You have to live out of what God has done. You have to live out of the promises that he makes. Being born again has to do with conversion. And that's not just a one-time thing. That is a daily activity. Every time again, you have to deny your old nature and put on the new. That's hard. You have to say no to sin and yes to the law of God. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. The Lord Jesus gives you a new birth through his resurrection. He has made you part of his kingdom. Do you see it? And now you must also show that reality in your life. Acknowledge that he is in control of all things. For to him belong to honor and glory alone. Amen.